I was uh, thinking we we we're about to enter the summer, which is crazy to me. A VBS will be on us before we know it. Camps and mission trips and all those kind of things. It, at the summer around here, it's like at the starting gun, and it's about to go off, and uh, these seniors are about to, uh, you, you know, seniors, you are the smartest, uh, most equipped group that has ever come in the world. You know I mean, you've been told that, so I may as well emphasize <laughs> that, too. I mean... I, I, I was thinking, I was talking with somebody yesterday about uh, um, about school and everything, and I, and I said, you know, I ought to go back to school because there's been a lot of history that's been done ever since I got out. And so you guys, you guys are sharp. You, you've got a, a lot on the ball, and I, I hope and pray that uh, God will use you in incredible ways. And I want to kind of address that a little bit over the next few weeks is I want to talk about finishing strong and uh, because many of us start out hot we start out going but we don't finish strong in fact the Bible is not full of a lot of people that really actually finish strong and so what I want to do is I want to kind of address this uh, according to the scripture and how do we um finish strong. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. And uh, I, I'm going to refer to it in just a moment. But let me let me kind of set the plate here for where we're going. Uh, I was given a book by one of my daughters that uh, many years ago, it was called, <coughs> excuse me, it was called Where Were You When? And it, what it has in there, it has, uh, let's say, modern history about 75 years as time goes on. <coughs> Excuse me. That uh, it, it has where were you when, and it has historical events. In other words, where were you when 9-11 took place? And I remember it was a Tuesday. being We were on staff retreat in Bryan, Texas. I remember it distinctly um, where were you when this uh, when Ronald Reagan was shot now many of you don't know who Ronald Reagan was and or they got shot but I remember I was at Baylor University in the library on it was Saturday morning and it was a rumble that came through the library that President Reagan had gotten shot where you were when the space challenger exploded the space shuttle Challenger exploded. I remember being in Oklahoma scouting out a mission trip when uh, when that that news broke and all of a sudden things were different. Where were you when the Berlin Wall fell in, in 1989? Where were you? Uh, uh, let's draw something close to home. In 1997, where were you when the tornado came through Gerald and... and took so many lives, and I remember that was a Thursday. It, it, things like that just stick in your mind. Where were you? Let's go with a positive. Where were you when University of Texas won the national championship in football in 2006? There was a group of men that we were watching it in the community center over here, uh, 
watching the game. But where I'm going with this is these are incidences that change life all of a sudden. And you know as well as I do that a phone call, a text, uh, an email all of a sudden can change your life. And just like these seniors, many of us will face fork-in-the-road decision-making. You know, Yogi Berra, the, the great Hall of Fame catcher for the New York Yankees, said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And uh, when we come to a fork in the road, we have to make a decision. And you're going to come to those. Just all of us are going to come to those decision-making times that are going to either lead us in the right direction or they would detour us the wrong direction. Today, I want to talk to you about King Solomon. King Solomon had it all, man. He was the... Uh, king. He was the son of David who had been the man after God's own heart. He uh, was a chosen one, so to speak. His dad chose him. God chose him to be the king. He was wealthy. And if you back up into 1 Kings chapter 10, I'm not going to read it, but you can just read about how he had riches and he had wealth and he was famous. And uh, he also was creative. He had written uh, the Song of Solomon. He had written many of the Proverbs that are in the Scripture. We, he wrote Ecclesiastes and just a, a struggle that he had. He was creative. He, uh, if we believe that he wrote Song of Solomon and he was describing himself, he was a looker, man. He was a womanizer. He, he had it. Uh, uh, he built the temple. He built a palace. He, he, gold was so abundant. He, in fact, the scripture says in, in chapter 10, verse 23, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. I mean, that's the way he was seen. He had asked for wisdom. He had wisdom. He had smarts. He had education. He had wealth. He had looks. He had creativity. He had brains. He had everything. He was the Elon Musk of his day. That's who he was. And uh, he, he owned it all. But he came to the fork in the road. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, I want to read to you, and I'm reading out of the New International Version today, and there's a reason I studied in all the different versions, but I landed here, and I want you to hear what it has to say. Verse 1 in chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Can you imagine just kissing them goodnight? I mean, that, that was forever. Uh, I'd add he was exhausted. 
And his wives led him astray. Let me read that one more time. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. There's word in verse 11, and this is why I use the NIV today, and the word is however. You see, Solomon had done all these great things. I mean, he was wealthy, he had... uh, He had the wisdom, he had everything, the world, all the eyes of the world were on him. Yet he came to a point in his life that was a however. All of us are going to come to this kind of fork in the road. And are we going to have a however and we're going to end bad? Or are we going to have a however and we made the right decision? Solomon was greeted with this, and he struggled. I I thought about what it was that Solomon led to Solomon's downfall. And and, and you can say, well, he married too many women. It it was his wives that led him astray. I think it's a little bit bigger than that. I I think he had a, a, a pride problem. He struggled with pride. He sought to negotiate with his enemies. You see... Many of his wives that he picked, he married them so he would have peace with their country. And so he ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines out of that because he was willing to compromise instead of depend on the Lord. He depended on his own strength and led him astray. And there was pride. And this is the way I look at it. He thought he was above the law. He thought it had to do with everybody else, but not with him. Tiger Woods, when the great golfer, when Tiger Woods had his downfall with his wife, he was womanizing, he was, he was doing a lot of things. He, in an interview, basically, he said he thought that the, he was above that. In other words, he was above the law. It has to do with everybody else, but because he's famous, it doesn't have to do with him. And how much pride is there that uh, leads us astray because we think, oh, that's for somebody else. That, they, they, that's for somebody else. That's not me. Man, when you're prideful, you've got to be careful lest you fall. I guarantee it, you will, there's an enemy that will take you down. And part of his bride had to do with sensuality. Um, Yes, he had many wives, and he had the pick of many women. But yet, his pagan worship was very sexual and sensual. And what it did is that took him down as well. I think we live, I want you to hear me here, I think we live in a callous day. I don't want to be a teenager today. Uh, you guys are fantastic. I, I, I'm not sure I would have made the wise decisions. 
with the influence of social media and with one click of, uh, of a key or a mouse, you can be in places you never wanted to be. Uh, you never dreamt that you would be there. And what has happened is, is that you get callous. The things even on the uh, television today, there's a callous that is built up. And as Jeremiah said, we've lost the ability to blush even. And uh, the way I look at it, you know, when, when you go to an airport and you got to go through uh, you got to go through the metal detector. Every time I go through a metal detector, I'm going to beep because I've got titanium knees. I know i got to say, you know, and then they're going to wand me. So that, that happens all the time. But I'm afraid that where our hearts have become so callous that if we walk through some kind of spiritual detector, we don't even feel the beep anymore. We don't feel the, the ping on our conscience anymore because we have become that callous. And that's what Solomon had done. Because of his pride, he'd become callous. Here's the second thing about why he had a downfall. It was extravagance. He had to have it. He had, he had to have it. The latest, greatest, he had to have it. He, he couldn't say no to the world. And because he couldn't say no, it, this led to an oppression of his own people. You know, the, the deal about the history of the Jews were that they'd been in slavery down in Egypt and that God had set them free. And now here's Solomon and he takes his own people along with those that they've captured and he uh, enslaves them for his own gratification. And so Egypt continued on and they had been enslaved. So pride, extravagance, the last one is idolatry. He just fell in love with the culture and he worshiped the culture. Well, Mark, why do you say culture? Because it mentions particular gods. He just did what the people that they were supposed to overcome did. He, uh, he just fell in love with the culture. He worshiped the culture just like we do. It, we, you know, the biggest struggles today is that we can't say no to the culture. It just is is there and it's coming after us he embraced the gods that were uh, sensuality he embraced uh the culture in that he had a divided heart and let's let's be honest our culture uh is blows my mind how um okay we have a redeemed mind right we live according to the word of god and I rejoice that uh, it looks like Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. I, I can't help but rejoice. Amen. And, and uh, I mean, just common sense, you know. Uh, uh, the scripture says, you know, when does life begin? Well, it begins in the mind of God. And then he's there, according to Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 1, he's there for the knitting together in the mother's womb. So there is no accidents. If anybody ever said you were in an accident, that's a bunch of bull. You, there's no accidents in this room. All of you were chosen by God, and, and so you were born. And so, you know, it, it's just a, a, a given thing. And so when people say, Mark, what do you believe about life? It begins in the mind of God. But I, I realize we live in a culture that not everybody believes that, and, and so there's this struggle. 
But I want to I speak to you, Christian, just a moment, who's very pro-life. I want to say to you that we have a responsibility. We have an incredible responsibility. There are still women that are full of guilt and shame because they took their child's life, and yet the church has turned its back on them, and they feel like they cannot find grace and mercy to heal up and go forward. We're responsible. We're, we need to be there for them. Number two, there is going to be a young lady who finds pregnant with child, and she can't afford that child. She doesn't know what's going to take place. Is she going to find open arms to love her through that, or is she not? And that's where the church has got to raise up. We've got to love people outside of the womb, just like we love that child inside the womb. Okay? So we have a responsibility. And so Solomon embraced his culture to worship him. And we've got to be careful. So we look at this, and Solomon chose this path, and he did not finish well. So what does this mean to you? And, and seniors, I hope that you hear this. Um, and because all of us need this. There's three things that I want to just give you as a so what. Number one, keep your guard up. You've got to keep your guard up. You do not make a decision to finish strong when you come to the end. You've got to make a decision now how you're going to finish. You've got to keep your guard up. I guarantee you there's an enemy that comes against you. You've got to stay alert. Uh, ease has led us to slumber and apathy. And we've got to be careful. You're not going to make the decision at the end. You've got to make it now. And you've got to keep your guard up. You've got to set it up. I guarantee you, seniors, when you go to college, some of you are going to go to college and they're going to, they're going to try to blast your faith right out of the water, right off the bat. And they're going to tell you that everything you learned in your youth group and your church was a bunch of bunk. Listen, you don't get into that class and then you start figuring out what you believe. You believe it now so that you're able to stand when you're there. You've got to keep your guard up. Number two, you've got to seal up the cracks. Solomon never repented of turning his back on God. I think if he would have repented, it would have been much different. But he never repented. He never sealed up the cracks, and thus it destroyed what was taking place. Where you have wandered, confess, repent, return. I appreciated Daryl's prayer in that we, we all screw up. But I thank God for repentance and confession and returning and grace. We've got to seal up the cracks. But you know what I've learned? Is that many of you have learned that have owned a house you get a crack in your sheetrock or your drywall, and 
what do you do? You pull out the spackling and you paint, you know, fill it in and you paint over it. Only what's going to happen? Crack's going to come back because the crack is not in the sheetrock. What's happened is you've got a foundation problem. And unless you deal with a foundation problem, you're going to continue to address the crack. Here's the deal. Our foundation is to be built on a solid foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And so if you build on that foundation, you're going to be able to seal the cracks up. I promise you. Is everything, you know, I think, I think about my life. I think about the Word of God. You know, there's a lot of things in here, and I'm just being transparent. There's a lot of things in here I just don't grasp. I haven't grasped it yet. I'm, I'm still a novice. I'm still a, uh, still a student of the Word of God. But you know what bugs me? Is all the things I do understand that I'm not doing. You know? And so, build on the foundation. Seal up the cracks. And the thirdly is this. Stand firm. Put up your guard. Seal up the cracks. Stand firm. Stand firm. The culture is going to rail against you. You need others that you can link arms with. You need to have other people. You need to stand firm. You need to stand firm. One of you, let me encourage you seniors right quick. And, and this is nothing new. I know our student ministry, the the McCallumonts and the Swains are godly people. They've, they've instructed you. Alan's instructed you. When you go off, you need to find community. Godly community. You need to find others that you can link arms with so you can stand firm. You put up your guard, you seal up the cracks, and you stand firm. Does that mean that storms won't come your way? Heck no. But it means you will stand. You know, it is hot right now, isn't it? I mean, good night. Some of you moved here, and this is a, a cold front compared to August, though. So, and uh, it's hot. And so what do you do? You check your car. Uh, when you get in there and you see the temperature and you, some of you have uh, thermometers outside and you see it and, and uh, these thermometers are just out of sight and uh, thermometers tell you the temperature of the culture. But you know in your house you have something called a thermostat. And what the thermostat does is you set that thermostat at a certain temperature and what it does is it changes the culture to what you want it to be and how it's supposed to be. You know, each of us is either going to be a thermometer or a thermostat. We are either going to follow after the culture and be just like it because that's the temperature of the culture, or we're going to change it because we have set our temperature, we have set it to Jesus Christ and what he desires of us and the culture around us will change because of that. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? You know, 
it begins. Well, it's, I know, I know I get paid to say this, but I don't say it because I get paid. Jesus Christ truly is the foundation in the industry. You're going to get hit. I was reading in John chapter 7. I'm about to pray. I was reading in John chapter 7, and Jesus says, th said this to his disciples. He said, they're going to hate me because I speak about the evil that is in the world. He was a thermostat, I guarantee you. He didn't let culture influence him. He influenced culture. I want you to bow with me.